Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Today, we're going to conclude a series that we've been in now. This is the eighth week in our series called Friends, Brothers, and Others. And the title is basically who wrote whatever book of the Bible that we're working on that week. So this entire year we've been going, as you know, through the Bible chronologically front to back. We are almost done. Um, After this week, we just have the four Gospels left for the end of the year, and we've made it all the way through the Bible. So never need to pick up a Bible again, never need to read it again. You know everything there is to know about the Bible. No. Um, But it's been fun kind of working through the Bible this year. It's been fun for me. Hopefully it's been uh, good for you as well. And we are going to conclude this series where we're looking at uh, either friends of Jesus who wrote books of the Bible or people who knew Jesus that wrote two friends. That's the friends part. Or brothers of Jesus that we looked at, James and Jude, who wrote books of the Bible. Or now... One of the best friends of Jesus, John, who we looked at last week in Revelation in our our worship uh, service last weekend, which was awesome as well. Our Thanksgiving worship gathering was so much fun, so much energy, so much worship uh, going to Jesus to get us ready for Thanksgiving. It was awesome. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at really just two verses from one of the three letters that John wrote. So he wrote the, the Gospel of John, which we'll look at on Christmas Eve. So we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation we looked at last week. And he also wrote three short letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we're going to use two verses from 1st John chapter 5 as kind of our launching off point today. As we look at this idea, here's what I want you to get from today. is God's message to you is this. I hear you. I got you. That's what I want you to hear from this today. This is God's message to you. I hear you. I got you. So let's look first at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and we'll jump off from here and look at this idea that God has us, and he he hears us, and he's got us. 1 John 5, 14. We are confident that he, that's God, that God hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Today we're going to focus on really the purpose and the power of prayer in this idea of I hear you and I got you. That's God's message to you today. This is the launching point here, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. But Jesus tells an interesting story in Luke chapter 11 that we're really going to focus most of our attention on that ties in with this idea from John. And it's about prayer, and it's about what we can really expect from prayer, what what prayer looks like just not only to us, but also to God, and how we can view that and really, I think, engage in the power behind prayer. So flip over, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to, again, with this idea in mind, we're confident that God hears us and he will answer us. He hears us and he's got us. Luke 15, we're going to read verses uh, 5 through 11 of Luke, wait, Luke 11, verses 5 through 15. 13. If I can say anything, it'd be a miracle, right? So here's the story that Jesus tells, and then we'll kind of explore uh, some ideas from this text today. It says this, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. 
Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But Jesus says this, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for the friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, the idea here, the message from God that I think Jesus shows us from this passage is God says, I hear you and I got you. So there's a couple reasons I think that Jesus tells this story that I think are, are pretty fascinating, and, but they really illuminate the point of the story and then the power of the story. Then we'll get into specific application here with the rest of our time today. But first, a couple reasons why I think Jesus tells this story. So these verses in, in Luke 11, 5 through 13, are connected to the first four verses. They don't just float out in the ether, right? They're not just unattached or disattached from anything else. The four verses preceding what we just read is a version of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus gives them what we would call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But then, right on the heels of teaching them how to pray, he tells this story, I think, to explain why we pray. Or not only for us to see how maybe we should pray or how we should view prayer, but really to show us how God views prayer, which is a powerful thing that we'll explore today. He goes further into the why or practically what prayer looks like for us to pray. The second reason I think that Jesus tells the story in the way that he does is he uses two different types of relationships. He uses a friend and a father in this account that he gives in Luke 11. And I think the reason that he does that is because sometimes, we mentioned it briefly last week, but sometimes God can seem really distant. If we're honest, that we, God, I know you're there, but you seem like a billion miles away, and I've never seen you before, and I feel like sometimes, you know, what's the point of me praying out loud? Am I just doing it for myself? Am I doing it so maybe someone will hear me? Is there any point to this? So sometimes we struggle with prayer, or maybe we don't pray because we see a lack of relationship with God. So what Jesus does is he very practically tells this story to show us how we can view God. How is, we'll we'll look, at, look at this later, but he is the best of the best kind of friend you could ever hope to have and more, and he is the best of the best type of father you could ever want and more. He does this by design. He uses these relatable relationships to show us God's not really that distant. God's not really that different. You can, you can try to imagine him in this way, and hopefully it will help to propel your prayers onward. He's not just the big guy in the sky. He's not just this, you know, force that maybe he will do this if I say the right thing at the right time in the right posture. He's saying, no, God is much more relatable than that. So I think that's why Jesus tells this story in this way. But from this, again, tying into 1 John 5, I want to, I want to look at five takeaways from this account this morning that I hope will help us to understand that God hears you when you pray and God's got you. 
So five, five main takeaways from this story to help us to see this idea. So here's the first, the first takeaway from this story, and that's the idea of expectations. There's really two sides of this. There's two parts of, I think, expectations uh, in this account that Jesus tells, and really in the Lord's Prayer as well, the first four verses of Luke 11. There's the expectation of prayer, and there's the expectation in prayer. So first let's look at the expectation of prayer. So when Jesus tells us, talks about prayer, he says, when you pray. There's an expectation that Jesus has that his followers will talk to his father. There's this expectation that he has that it's not like an optional thing or it's not just a good idea. It's like part of the process for one of his followers. So he doesn't say if you pray or if you get around to it or once in a while when you schedule. He says, no, when you pray. It's an expected normal part of following Jesus. And again, going back to the relational piece, which is so key to this entire thing today, if I want to grow in any relationship, communication is a huge part of that. I want to get to know this person and grow in relationship with them. I want to know more about who they are and what makes them tick, and I want, to get, I want them to get to know me. That's what prayer is. That's why Jesus uses these analogies of a friend and a father. Communication is key. Prayer is key in getting to know who God is and in him really getting to know us, even though he already knows us. But there's something about sharing those things with him, even knowing that he knows there's, some, there's a power, sort of a, a mystic, I, I hate to use that word, but it's sort of this mystic power in prayer. And the, the thing about the expectation is it's not just that prayer is expected just because. It's just another thing to do. It's another thing on the chore chart. I have to do these things to be a good Christian. That's not the point. Again, it's relational in nature. Okay, So there are many benefits to prayer that we'll get to here later on. But there's this expectation of prayer first and foremost. But then there's an expectation in prayer. And this is our expectation. So let me just, maybe you don't, didn't know this or haven't thought about it in this way, but you can have expectations in your prayers. And I would say you should have an expectation in your prayer. That's why in 1 John, John says we know that when we pray, God hears us. We can have that expectation. I don't have to wonder, where is my prayer going is anyone listening? John says, we know that when we pray, God hears us. Jesus uses these examples about friend and father to show us God is listening. He is there. We can expect that. We can ex have an expectation in our prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says we can come boldly before God's throne. We can come boldly. We can have expectation that he hears us and that he's got us. We should approach prayer with belief that God will hear and respond. Because otherwise, prayer is a waste of time. If I'm not believing that my prayer actually is being heard, then what am I doing? It's kind of built in there, but it's a big part of that. If I'm questioning everything I'm praying about, does God care? Does he hear? Is he really that concerned? Isn't there more important things going on? It's like, well, no, no. Then you've undercut your prayer from the very beginning. You should come into prayer with an expectation that God hears and he will respond. We'll get to the how and when and why of that response later, but we know that he will. So there's an expectation of prayer, an expectation in prayer. You should come to God with all your cares, worries, fears, needs, requests, with a faith-filled expectation that nothing is too big for him, nothing is too small for him, nothing is above him, and nothing is beneath him. That's the kind of expectation that we can and should have when it comes to prayer. Then the second expectation with that is, is or the second takeaway is 
connected to the expectation, and that's this kind of pull between obligation and relation. So I want to kind of get you into my thought process the last couple weeks and looking at this passage in Luke 11. There is one part of one verse that I really struggled with for a couple weeks, and I, I'll, let me read it, and then we'll talk about maybe why. So let me build it up. So back to Luke 11. So in the story, the, you, as the friend, you knock on your friend's door. You say, I need three loaves of bread. But your friend's asleep, and they say, hey, we're asleep. I'm not getting up. Sorry about your luck. But the friend, you keep knocking on the door, and finally, here's what happens. Luke 11, 8. Let's read this again. We already read it. Let's look at it again. Jesus says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for the friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. That part of underline there is what's bugged me for a couple weeks. Because I know that Jesus doesn't misspeak. And I know that he doesn't just put fluff into his story for no reason. So why did he put that little part in there? He won't do it for the friendship's sake. And I think you can see it. Let me just kind of walk you through how I've kind of tried to work through that this week. Is... First, in sort of a negative way, we should never think that God is obligated to do anything. So we don't want our expectation in prayer to become obligation. We don't want to bleed over into, well, God, you owe me this. Or God, because I'm your child, right? He won't do it because of the relationship. Because I'm your child, you got to do anything I ask. you got to give me whatever. Like John, remember 1 John 5, 14, he'll give you whatever you ask for. It's kind of seeing that verse in sort of the wrong type of way. And so I think that's, that's part of it here is where God's never obligated to do anything for any reason. Even salvation, God was under no obligation to save anyone. Think about that for a second. That's what makes salvation so amazing. It is an undeserved gift of God's grace. So our sin makes us rebels against God. We're like little warlords against the Lord of all lords. He has no obligation to save us and rescue us. He has every right to destroy us or to leave us to our own to die in our sin and face eternal punishment in hell. That's his right. That's what, we're, that's what we're obligated to receive. But instead, he gives us salvation. And even every prayer that we pray is the same way. There's no obligation. So uh, this fact, though, should fuel our expectation in our prayer. And here's why. Here's why I think this is so important, this obligation versus relation. Everything God does is not because he has to, but because he wants to. Again, he's relational. Jesus at the end even says, you terrible sinners, you even know his dads did not give your children bad gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? will give you every good gift as you ask him. So we don't have to worry about what God's going to do, but that should fuel our expectation. He does everything he does, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Your prayers are not annoying to God. Your requests don't get on his nerves. You are not a nuisance to God. He desires to hear from you because he is relational. He is relational. You're not taking from God when he answers your prayer. Like you don't have to feel guilty. Oh, he answered my prayer, but he didn't answer this person's prayer. No, all you've done as you pray is give God more opportunity to give more to you. That's what God wants to do, not out of obligation, but out of relation. It's not because he has to, but it's because he wants to. Hopefully that will maybe fuel your prayers even a little bit more as you consider that thought. 
And then the third takeaway from Luke 11 is another sort of two-parter here. It's this idea of being persistent and consistent in prayer. Now, persistence, I think, is obviously the theme that Jesus gives us here. Knock, 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 and keep knocking in the story, right? And then he says, knock and keep knocking, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking. That's, that's the theme here. And so Jesus tells us to be persistent. But then he, there's actually, a, in, um, in Matthew chapter 15, we're going to look at a story where Jesus shows what it looks like to be persistent. It's not just that he tells us what it looks like or how to do it, but he shows us what persistence looks like with his own life and ministry. Matthew 15, we'll look at verses 21 through 28 and look at a very interesting moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. So it says this, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent to only help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. This woman was persistent. And it was her persistent faith that healed her daughter. So again, look at, the, look at how this works. She comes to Jesus with a request, and he ignores her. He doesn't give her an answer, okay? Maybe you feel like that's where you are in your prayers. So then she doesn't quit, though, because here's the interesting thing. In none of these first responses does he tell her no. He just hasn't said yes yet. That's interesting, okay? So first he ignores her. Then the disciples tell, her to, tell him to shoo her away. She's bugging us. She's bothering us. Then Jesus came, comes to her and says, well, I actually came for the people of Israel, and you're a Gentile. Notice he didn't say, I'm not going to answer your prayer. He just kind of puts another barrier there in her way, really to see how persistent I think she's going to be. And she doesn't allow this barrier to keep her from requesting yet again, hey, I know, but hey, I'm, she says she came then and worshiped him. So sometimes when we don't have an answer long enough, we tend to maybe get kind of mad at God or we get a little defensive, or we get kind of skittish about praying, well, I haven't heard yet, and uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I am wasting my time. Maybe people around you are kind of trying to talk you out of this persistent type of faith. This woman didn't let anything, even the disciples, keep her from Jesus. So she pushed further and pushed further, and finally he says, hey, I, I don't, I'm not going to give the food to the dogs. And this is one of those times where you just step back and say, wait a second. What is Jesus doing here? Why is he calling this woman a dog? Now, what's interesting is we struggle with this, but she didn't. Notice she didn't get her panties in a wad and say, how dare you call me a dog? She knew what he was saying. She understood the idea, the cultural view that he's giving. He's not saying, this is how I view you. He's saying, you're a Gentile. I'm a rabbi. I'm like a Jew of the Jews. And this is, this is not normal. This is not how things are supposed to work by society standards. So he's letting her know, hey, this is really odd 
This is really strange. This, you're unique. I don't have a lot of Gentiles come to me for this type of thing. I even have a lot of my own people come to me for this type of thing. This is really weird. So she still doesn't allow this cultural barrier to keep her. She continues on and on, and she really claims him as the Messiah that even his own people would not. And finally, after being so persistent, Jesus says, your persistent faith has healed your daughter. That was the thing that made the difference. She persisted. She didn't get angry or aggressive. She didn't quit and get upset. She knew Jesus was her only hope. So let me ask you this when it comes to prayer. How bad do you want it? Really? How bad do you really want it? How long will you persist in prayer until you receive some type of answer? And I'm not saying that that's that God's not going to answer you, right, if you don't pray in the right way, but I'm just or if you don't pray long enough, I'm just saying it takes persistence sometimes. It takes overcoming some doubt and some fear and some insecurity and some silence for a long time sometimes. How persistent do you want to be? How bad do you want it? And this does tie in with consistency here. Because let me ask you these other questions about your prayer life. Do you just pray when you need something? Do you just pray when you're desperate? Are your prayers just like a wish list for this genie up in the sky? Do you treat your prayer life like break glass in case of emergency type of moments? Or is your prayer consistent? Now, if you view your prayers this way, it, again, it doesn't mean that God will not answer them, but what it does reveal is that you're missing the point of prayer in the first place. The point of prayer is not that I obligate God or put him in a corner, that he does these things because he can, and I'm asking so he will. The point of prayer is so much deeper than just that. And if we only see it in that way, we're missing out. So here's some thoughts to consider. Your prayer should be at least as much praise as panic. Your prayer should be more of a worship session and less of a worry session. Your prayer should be more, more God, I need you, rather than just God, I need this. That's the power of prayer. And I feel like sometimes in our prayer lives, we're the opposite of the disciples in Luke 11. The disciples wanted to pray, but didn't know how. So Jesus tells them. I feel like much of the time, we know how to pray, but we don't want to. See the difference there? The disciples wanted to, didn't know how. We know how to, we just don't, much of the time. Or even as James says, we ask with the wrong motives, for the wrong reasons, with the wrong point in our hearts and in our minds. Again, I'm not saying for certain that God doesn't answer inconsistent prayers. Sometimes those Hail Marys, like he, okay, I'll just gonna, I'm going to throw him a bone. Sometimes that panicky prayer where I'm going to hyperventilate and I don't know what else to do. And I, God, I haven't talked to you for a while. Sometimes, because he's so gracious, he will answer those. So I'm not saying that he won't answer inconsistent prayers. But what I do know is what both John and Jesus have told us today is that God does answer persistent prayers. And if we put these two together, you will not be persistent if you are inconsistent. The likelihood of you knocking and knocking and knocking when you just come at an emergency in the spur of the moment is very low. But if, you're, if prayer is a regular thing that you do, whether life is good or bad, whether things are high or low, no matter what your emotional state is, what your financial state is, like if we're consistent in prayer, we're much more likely to be persistent in prayer. 
So you have nothing to lose if you live a life of prayer. Nothing to lose and a lot to gain. So this is persistent. Being persistent and consistent is, again, the focus and the key of prayer. Here's the fourth takeaway that we've talked about quite a bit, but we'll look at it here again for a minute, is the relational part of that, the friend and father. These are two relational analogies, and the point of them is to show us that God transcends any relationship that we can imagine. So think about your best friend for a second. Think about who, you're, who you'd say, when I say your best friend is, think about who that person is. Now, they're probably awesome. You probably love them. You'd probably do almost anything for them. They'd probably do almost anything for you. However, everyone has limitations. Everyone. So you may want to provide for your friend, but you can't. Like, I can't buy them a new car. I don't have that in the budget, right? So I, I know they need that, and I want it for them, and I would do it, but I just can't. We all have limits. You always want to be there for your friends, but we can't always be there. They might live a 1,000 miles away across the country, and you want to be there, but you just can't make it happen, right? So we have limitations. We're limited on time, energy, money, knowledge, skill, and the other part of this is even your best of your best friend will at some time let you down. In some way, they will disappoint you. They will have a point of view that as you've talked for years, I never knew you thought that. I don't know about that. Maybe it causes you to question some things. So your friends will eventually disappoint you. They may, whether intentionally or not, maybe not keep their word about something. Maybe they forget something that was really, they forget it's your birthday. Maybe it really hurts you. In some way, big or small, intentionally or not, your friends will disappoint you and you will disappoint them. But Jesus says God has none of these limitations that we have. God will never fail you. He will always give more than you give. That's that's the kind of friend that God wants to be and that we can experience through prayer. And then he talks about this idea of father, and it's the same limitations, the same disappointment. The best of the best father is not going to be a perfect father, okay? So, but God is perfect. But maybe you're on the other end of that, and you've maybe always struggled with this father analogy of God. Maybe your father was domineering or abusive. Maybe he abandoned your family. Maybe he had addiction problems and just was absent. He wasn't there. Maybe you were just so disappointed with your earthly idea of who your father is that you've struggled with God being your father. But again, Jesus says God is nothing like that. God will never abandon you. God will never mistreat you. Even even, uh, the Old Testament, it says God cannot lie. Numbers 23 says God cannot lie. So maybe you're like, "I, I have these problems with trusting people. I don't even know if I can trust God. God is incapable because of who he is by his nature. He is completely holy, cannot tell a lie. So that's who God is. God saved you and he loves you. Remember, the idea here that God is telling us today is that I hear you and I've got you. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm the best of the best kind of friend you could ever hope to have and then some. I'm the best of the best kind of father you could ever have and then some because he cannot fail and he is perfect in all that he does. That's our friend and our father that we can go to in prayer. That should, again, increase the expectation that we have. He's not, he's, he is listening I don't bother him. He's not going to lie to me. So we can go to our friend and our father in prayer. Here's the last takeaway that we'll look at here for a couple minutes, and that is good gifts. What, What Jesus says in Luke 11 is that God gives good gifts. And James, 
a quote here. I don't have it on the screen, but James 1.17, it tells us that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So it means God is consistent. He is the same. So when he hears you, he hears you. When he's going to answer you, he will answer you. He's not going to there's not like a limit. There's not like a, he's not going to max out, but every good gift comes from him. Everything God does is good. Every prayer God answers is good. Now, the problem with answered prayers is sometimes it's kind of like an advent calendar. It's incremental. You open one little box to get one little gift that one day, but there's 24 or 23 more boxes left to open. Like, I want to know what's in the other. Nope, you can't. Nope, it's incremental. you got to wait for the next day to come. You can open that little box and get that little gift until the whole thing is complete. It takes nearly a month, so there's got to be some patience. And, you know, but that's just that's sometimes how prayer works. It's incremental, and that can be so frustrating. And it can seem like it's taking forever. And I'm seeing a little bit of progress with this prayer, but, man, there's so much left to go. Yeah, that's sometimes how prayer works. It's sometimes incremental a little more each day until it's complete and a big frustration with prayer is it just hasn't happened yet maybe you've been praying for months or years for the same thing for the same person for the same miracle and it still hasn't happened but remember when that woman came to jesus it took a while and so for a while he didn't say anything and then there were other barriers at play to get in her way, but she was persistent. So sometimes it hasn't happened yet, but the timing's not really up to us. We can't control that. And so that's where persistence really has to kick in. I'm going to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, like Jesus tells us to do here in Luke 11. Let me encourage you, don't get too tired that you quit asking, seeking, knocking, praying believing don't get too tired like your knuckles may you know start to bleed a little bit just keep use your other hand to let the you know let it heal and then just keep switching if you have to if you got to start knocking with your foot or your knee like whatever you got to do just keep going and i would say don't take no for an answer but we will get to that in a second i would say until you get an answer don't stop knocking like it's been like seven years I mean, I don't know what to tell you except just to keep knocking, you know? Like, I, I got nothing else for you on that. I'm in the same boat as everybody else. Like, I've had people tell me before, you know, I'm going to ask Stephen to pray for me because he's got, like, a direct line. My line's as direct as yours is, okay? Like, I don't have, there was a secret sauce, you know, I would let you know, but there's just not. And so it's just, we have to be persistent because sometimes it hasn't happened yet, but if we stop asking, then it's not going to happen, right? That's just, that's what Jesus tells us to do. And like the, the woman again here, don't allow others to cause you to give up either. I know it's hard enough when you're like getting worn out and you're tired of asking, seeking, knocking, and you're going to give up. And then when other people around you start to question, you know, I told you that religion thing was nothing. Like I told you that prayer thing was silly. Like I told you God isn't, there's no guy in the sky in his robe on a throne. Like he's, there, no. Like obviously if God was there, he would have answered by now. That's not how it works. And so I, I want to encourage you, maybe you're in that spot where people around you are starting to kind of cave in on your faith a little bit. Part of that persistence is to push back even against that and say, I'm not going to let your lack of faith affect my faith. I'm not going to let your lack of answered prayer affect my prayer that I'm asking God for. So we want to keep asking, seeking, and knocking as Jesus tells us. Let me share this quote as we, as we begin to close today. And it's written by Albert Barnes, who wrote a series of books back in the 1830s and 40s um, and on this Luke 11 passage, here's what he writes. So listen to this. 
God does not promise to give blessings at once. He promises only that he will do it or, or will answer prayer. But he often causes his people to long to wait. He tries their faith. He leaves them to persevere for months or years until they feel entirely their dependence on him, until they see that they can obtain the blessing in no other way, and until they are prepared to receive it. Often they are not prepared to receive it when they ask it at first. They may be proud or just have no sense of their dependence, or they would not value the blessing, or it may at that time not be best for them to obtain it. Catch this. But let no one despair. If the thing is for our good, and if it is proper that it should be granted, God will give it. Let me say that again. Let no one despair. If the thing is for our good, and if it is proper that it should be granted, God will give it. Every prayer God answers is always good. It may not come when we want it to, or when we think we want it to, or think we need it to, but God's answer is perfect, his timing is perfect, and every gift he gives, every prayer he answers is perfect. If it comes in pieces, every piece is going to be good. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to be really good when it happens. And let me say this, and you might push back on this initially, but catch me, if the answer is no, even that is a good gift. That's a hard one to swallow, I know. But I'm telling you, every gift God gives and every gift he even doesn't give is ultimately for good. As the quote we just read, sometimes we're not ready for what we pray for. That's again, James talks about sometimes we pray with the wrong motives. We're going to waste it on ourselves, so, or we're not going to appreciate it when, when it happens. We're not quite ready. So even that one, as hard as it is to swallow, is true. Every gift God gives is good. So as you pray, pray with expectation that God hears you and he's got you. As you pray and keep praying, know that God is your perfect, powerful, limitless friend and father who desires to give you good gifts. Even this week as you pray, remember this from God. I hear you, I got you, and I love you. Let's pray. God, may today be a reminder of the purpose and power of prayer. I know most of us in the room, we know, we know how to pray, and we do pray, but I hope that even just the, this way of thinking about prayer through First John and through Luke, through the words of John and Jesus, would help us to see maybe a new level of power in prayer, maybe a new perspective in our prayer. Maybe even though we pray, we're stuck in a rut, Maybe we just pray kind of from rote memorization and you want relational prayer. Maybe we pray for things and we don't understand really how you think about prayer, but maybe something that's been said or shared or read today would help us to see even how you see this prayer in a relational way. God, help us to see and desire consistent and persistent prayer. You desire to hear and answer. You desire to give good gifts. So may we engage in prayer as never before so we can experience all your goodness, all your greatness, and all your power. But most importantly, I pray that we would engage in prayer simply to experience you. The prayer answered is an added bonus, but the relationship is the point. We know that when we pray, we know, as John says, you hear us. 
And we know that as we pray, you will answer in your timing and in your way because you are a good God who gives good gifts. So my prayer is that our prayer lives starting this moment would be more powerful, more effective, and more persistent and consistent than ever before to experience you in deeper and deeper ways. I pray your blessing upon all those here today. You'd give us a great rest of our holiday weekend and get us ready for this week back at work. I pray that you bring us back next weekend ready for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.